Today we will be in Philippians chapter 1, again, verses 21 through 30. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, encourage us, edify us, build us up, strengthen us through Your Word. It is such a a privilege, Lord, to be able to praise and worship You with that born-again heart. And so, Lord, bless Your Word today. And we thank You, Jesus. We praise You. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are going to be covering verses 21 through 30. So open your Bibles. Ooh, man. I brought my tiny words. My tiny word Bible. So let's begin in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your joy, your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. You know, last week we talked a lot about persecution. And this week we'll continue in that theme because Paul um, talks about persecution, not being terrified of your adversaries because the Philippian church was going through persecution. And guys, I don't, you know, I do not desire that you leave here saying, oh, woe is me, this is such a depressing message, persecution's coming. You know, my desire is that through the message you'll be encouraged and have faith. And how your faith increased as to how the Lord is going to reveal Himself during those times. And He does. And sometimes these messages are hard for us to hear. But I want to encourage you that your pastors here, you know, we've been called to preach and teach the truth. We've been called to teach things that encourage and build you up. And... One of the things we're not called to do is to stand behind this pulpit and itch your ears and tell you only the things that you want to hear. Tell you only the things that are going to... um, We want you to walk out of here feeling that God loves you, of course. Of course we do. But we teach through the Bible, and sometimes there's things that... uh, can be hard to hear. 
And so we don't skip those. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. A death or life. That's what Paul's talking about. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know, Paul's only reason for, for, for life was to live for Christ. That was it. We know that. We can read through Acts. We can read through all of Paul's letters. And, and, and we can see that, you know, Paul, the only thing that Paul did other than that was to make tents to support himself in the mission field. And many missionaries do that. They have second jobs. They need the money to, to pursue their calling. And, and Paul's the same way. We learn that he was a tent maker. And not only did he get support from his churches, he got support from himself, from working. And as far as we know, Paul didn't have any hobbies. You know, he wasn't building model ships or, or, uh, what, you know, whatever his hobby might have been. He was either making tents or preaching the gospel. And, and that was it. That's, that's all he did. But he was torn. His desire was to depart and gain eternity, glorifying God. But he was torn also with living for Christ and winning souls. Verse 22, he says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Again, Paul's only reason for continuing to live was his burning desire to win souls for Christ. Paul goes on in verse 23, and he says, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You know, it was a simple question for Paul. Stay or go? He wanted to go to heaven, and of course, you know, he didn't. He didn't really have a choice. It was up to God. When God, when it was God's time to bring him home, it was God's time. And that's what he desired. But he was also torn between fellowshipping with the churches that he had planted, uh, building them up, responding to their letters of questions. You know, we're not, we don't have the letters that Paul received from the churches. But when you read his letters, especially in Corinthians, he received letters and the churches that he had planted were asking him questions. What about this? What about this, Paul? How can we, how can we minister here? How can we minister there? And so the letters are really responses from Paul. And you know in this verse he says that he is hard-pressed. And if we look at the original language in this, the words hard-pressed is, is the verb sunekomai. And it literally means to have with. So you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. Have with. Hard-pressed. He's hard-pressed. What does it mean to have with? So the, the, the word refers to Pressure being imposed upon someone from two different directions. And that was what Paul was feeling. He's got this pressure from two different directions. Stay or go. 
So if we take the liberty to paraphrase that to make it to, to kind of make it more sense, we can say, for I stand with pressure from two directions to live on for Christ or depart and gain eternity with Christ. And this pressure from both directions was equal. He was feeling the same pressure from both directions. And you know that word was used by Paul in 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 2 Corinthians uh, 5:14 and it was describing the the constraint that that Christ had put on his life. And Jesus also used the same words to describe the pressure on him as he faced the cross in Luke 12:5. And this is where Jesus talks about for I have a baptism to be baptized with. And so Jesus was hard pressed. He was standing with that same pressure. Paul goes on in verse 24 and he says, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And this is a wonderful thing. Although he had that same pressure from both directions, he desired to remain for their sake. This was his sacrificial love towards them. That he knew that the church in Philippi needed him for guidance, for helping them to understand the word that they had, for building them up and encouraging. And he says that their needs for him on earth outweigh his desire to be for Christ. Again, that sacrificial love. But guys, you know that struggle is alive in the minds of Christians today. We are sunekamai. Amen? We have that same struggle. We have that same desire. I want to go. Oh, Lord, I want to go. I want to be with you. And we stand with being torn between gaining eternity or staying here. You know, I, I have that desire to go to heaven and be with Christ. I also have a desire to be here with my kids, my grandkids, my great-granddaughter that I haven't even met yet. Or, you know, my arms ache to hold her so much. And she's in Oklahoma. And... So, we are also torn. Everybody has a, a similar story. Everybody has a, a, a similar desires. Stay or go. But the question is how we are waiting. What are we doing? I frequently hear the same thing from, from Christians. I am so tired of this world. I just want to go home and be with Jesus. I want the rapture to happen. And, and amen. I do too. <laughs> you know? It's something that we all desire. And here's the question. What are we doing? And you know what I see is uh, many in the church. Hey guys, I'm not talking about this church. Okay? I'm talking about the body of Christ especially in America. And, I, and, and I, see, I see the church sitting at what I call the rapture bus stop. It's like, oh, 
When's the bus coming? It's late. How dare that rapture bus be late? But the question for us is, and I'm waiting at the rapture bus stop too. Don't get me wrong. But as we're waiting for that, that rapture bus, what are we doing while we're waiting? That's the question. Are we sitting there and ignoring the gospel? Or is the church busy while they're waiting for the rapture bus stop? As Christians, you know, the church must continue having a concern for the lost. Guys, the world is perishing in their sins. And they're facing eternity. Okay, I'm not going Baptist here. But they're facing eternity separated from God in hell's fire. That's a horrible thing. So while waiting at the rapture bus stop, the Gospel is preeminent. And on the mind of Bible-believing pastors should be the same mental struggle as Paul. Torn between living in this world and living for Christ. Or dying and gaining eternal life in the presence of Jesus. Guys, I believe God has more for me. I believe God has more for you. Amen? He, he has more for all of us in our calling. Whatever that calling may be. The most important calling to me, there's many callings. Missionaries, pastors, all of these callings, but the most important calling in my mind is the calling to be godly parents to your children. That is a huge mission field. Mission field doesn't have to be across the oceans. The calling as a parent to your children, that to me is the most important mission field. You know, I I have a desire. Probably my greatest desire is to go back to Africa and, and, and allow God or have God to complete that good work that He began in me there. I have a great desire to do that. And I also desire to continue humbly, humbly serving you. That is another calling that I have. You are my brothers and sisters. And so I desire for God to complete that work that He's begun in all of us. And I believe He has more for all of us. Let me ask you this question. If the rapture happened tomorrow and we knew it was going to happen, would there be an urgency about us? Would we really then be concerned? Would we pick up that phone and say, Mom, Dad, Brother, Sister, Cousin, Uncle, Friend? I think then... I know I would be, I'd be prompted to, to preach that gospel harder to everybody. And the rapture may happen tomorrow. 
And even if we knew that the rapture was going to happen, Jesus still has more for us today. Tomorrow is tomorrow. But today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And the race isn't over until it's over. The rapture is something to look forward to, but not obsess over. As we desire so much to go be with Jesus. And and guys, here's another great desire on my heart. As Paul wrote to Timothy when he was in prison in his second letter to Timothy, when he knew, unlike now, Paul knew he was going to be released. He discerned that. Maybe God gave him that discernment. I don't know. But in, in, in Philippians, Paul knew he was going to be released. In Second Timothy, he knew that was it. He was going to die. He was going to be executed. But he said a wonderful thing. He wrote a wonderful thing to Timothy. And this is my greatest desire. And for Christians, this should be a great desire also. Paul said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If I'm on my deathbed, that's what I want to be able to say. I don't want to lay there and say, Lord, I fell away. Forgive me. I want to say, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Paul was at peace with his impending execution. What a difference if you're on your deathbed and you have whatever that's killing you. That's one thing. But to know that you are going to be... I mean, we all know the Romans were very inventive with execution. I think they had a book. Let's see. What did he do? Uh, let's see, what's the punishment for that crime? Are we going to behead him? Are we going to crucify him? Are we going to boil him in oil? Oh, what a tough decision. I am hard-pressed <laughs> from two directions. How are we going to kill this guy? And Paul didn't fear it. He had no fear of death. And you know, when I would come back from Sudan, people would ask me, aren't you afraid? Because when I was there, the Civil War was still going on. We had the Lord's Resistance Army coming in, raiding villages, kidnapping kids, uh, killing people in the villages. And let me tell you, going into a village after it's been raided and ministering to these uh, crushed and hurting parents, you talk about not knowing what to say. I didn't know what to say. I've been through a lot of things and I can identify usually with people that come to me with problems and counseling. I've never been through that. And, and the toughest question is, Pastor Chuck, we love Jesus. Why does He allow these things to happen? And, and you just stand there and my answer was always, it's an evil world. 
We are fallen. There is evil everywhere. And, and God has allowed this evil to happen. And that's usually, you know, that, that is the only answer I have. But I've often been asked, you know, Chuck, when the bullets are flying, artillery's going off, aren't you afraid? And my answer to that is, I'm, I'm afraid for those that I'm going to leave behind. But for myself, no. And as I've experienced that, what has always been on my mind is that if God allows that to happen and I would die there, what a way to enter the gates of glory, having been poured out serving others. Praise God. Not fearful for myself. Fearful for my family. You know, I I had my, at that time, 10-year-old granddaughter with me for two months in Sudan. And I got some criticism for taking her to a dangerous place. But God put that on my heart that she needed to go. And it was such a life-changing experience for her. But it was a very violent time when she was there. And the villages that we were going out and ministering in were the same villages that the Lord's Resistance Army was raiding and kidnapping children. Now, I want you to understand, we did have protection. We had the Sudanese People's Liberation Army and our uh, personal guards from the compound at the chaplain school. They would come out and they would patrol the bush around the village while we were ministering with their AK-47s. And I didn't have time, but I was going to have some pictures up here today of, of that time. But I was very, very worried about my granddaughter, 10 years old, going to these villages. And we had the opportunity for Mission Aviation Fellowship to come in and, and, and take her back to Uganda for safety. Everybody on the compound was concerned. So I went to Drina and I said, Drina, everybody in Marietta, which was our headquarters, everybody in Kampala would like for you to fly out for your safety. But it's your choice. She said, Papa, Jesus will protect me. And I stood there and I said, Oh, God, forgive me for my lack of childlike faith. And she was right. Jesus protected all of us. And I thought, man, what a little prophet. Giving us that word of knowledge. And, and, and Jesus protected us. And so, for us guys, it's such a wonderful gift to not fear death. To know that when that happens... We're going to lose our tired old tents and have a new body and trade it for eternal life. Verse 25, Paul says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant. Remember we talked about abounding and being more, and, and more abundant love last week? Well, that's what Paul's saying here. 
overflowing, that overflowing river abounding in Jesus Christ. And he says, by me coming to you again. And again, Paul discerned he was going to be released. And that he will eventually rejoice with the Philippians in their progress and their spiritual growth. And because of that confidence that Paul had, they had that same confidence. They understood, wow, Paul has discerned that he's going to be released. And we believe that. Paul, you know, he knows the Lord. He's got that direct phone call to Jesus. And so they were confident of that. And you know, on, the, on Paul's third missionary journey, he did return to the church in Philippi and fellowship with them and rejoice with them again. And so he knew that. Philippians 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that wherever, so that wherever I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ. Amen? Christ has granted us, given us, gifted us with salvation. Not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Oh, there it is. That's the hard one. Salvation, yeah. Belief in Him, oh yeah. Sharing His sufferings, mmm. That's a hard one but also to suffer for His sake. The Bible makes it clear. We need to suffer for His sake. We need to join with Him in His sufferings. That is what conforms us into His image, which is God's great desire for us to stand before Him on that day and for the Father to say, you look like Jesus. You got your Jesus clothes on. That's what God desires for us. Verses 27 through 28, Paul instructs the Philippians in four things that are important to any church. Number one, stand fast in one spirit. Number two, strive together. Number three, do not be terrified of your adversaries. Number four, believe in Jesus and suffer for His sake. Let's look at number one, stand fast in one spirit. A church that is divided and not in one spirit cannot survive. Amen? It, it cannot survive. A church divided will consume itself from within. And so, brothers and sisters, the church must stand in the Spirit united in Christ. What does the Spirit of Christ look like in a church? Sacrificial love for each other. Sacrificial forgiveness. Walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Bearing one another's burdens. 
being an encourager, being an edifier, praying for your brothers and sisters. Be long-suffering with your brothers and sisters. That's a hard one. We are not immune to the problems of the world. We are not immune to snipping at one another, biting at one another, gossiping about one another. Long-suffering with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Having kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If a, if a church is truly unified in the Spirit of Christ, Satan is going to find it very hard to get a foothold in that church. The church will never, ever, ever fall from outside persecution. Historically, that is when the church grows and gets stronger. As we are persecuted for our faith, the Spirit of Christ comes upon us. We become bolder. We become stronger from the Spirit of Christ. But a church can fall from internal discord. A lack of unity, sacrificial love, and forgiveness within the church. Guys, it's like a cancer. It eats a church from the inside out. And eventually, that church will die. Amen? And this is the time to stand unified in Jesus Christ as a body. Point number two, we strive together for the faith of the gospel. You know, I'm reminded here of soldiers in battle. Striving together. And soldiers must strive together. But to do that, they have to have clear orders from their commander to strive together. If they're out there on the front waiting for those orders, you know, I was watching a, a, a World War I documentary, and, and, you know, back then, there were no radios. Hey, commander says, you know, go to the left, go to the right, go forward. This is your objective. Back then, they had runners. And I was watching this documentary, and, and this runner, he was constantly going, running like a mile, two miles behind, you know, behind the front, running to the commander's office, running back to his commander in the field. This is what the boss says. Okay, go tell the boss this. And just constantly running. That was their radio. That was how they got their orders. If they didn't have those orders, it was, it was chaos. You had soldiers, oh, this should be our objective. Ah, no, this is our objective. Ah, no, we need to go forward. No orders. No direction. Guys, we're soldiers of Christ in a spiritual battle. We cannot look at the world as, oh, we need to, and I'm, <laughs> I'm guilty of this because I'm a military man. Why don't we have boots on the ground? We could take care of this problem. It's a spiritual battle, guys. The, the best weapon we have is to be on our knees in prayer. 
That is our preeminent weapon of mass destruction on the enemy, is prayer. Jesus Christ is our commander. He's never left us without orders. He's never left us without that objective. We have His Word. Our objective is known. The Gospel of Christ is our mission. And as soldiers, we stand unified and we strive together. That word strive in the Greek comes from the word sin, athleo. And you can probably figure out what that word means. And it comes from the root word athleo. That's where we get our word athletic or athlete. And the meaning of that word is to strive at the same time with one another, to engage in a contest, to contend in public games. You know, Paul is a sports fan. There's no doubt about it. Contend for a prize and to endure and suffer. Guys, we've never been told in God's Word that striving together for the faith and the sake of the Gospel is is going to be easy. This verse absolutely tells us that we will struggle and have to endure and suffer. And, And Jesus talks about that same endurance in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And you will be hated by all for My name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Verses 28 and 29, Paul says, Do not be uh, terrified of your adversaries. And this is point three. And so we already talked about persecution, not being faithful, striving with endurance. And Paul goes on and says, Because they are our adversaries, They, they and we know that their actions, guys, are rebellion. We can say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, that's not true. We are never persecuted. Ever, 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 ever. They are simply placing their hate for Christ onto us. What was Paul doing when he was killing Christians? When he was breaking up families? When he was arresting Christians and throwing them into jail. What did Jesus say to them? He didn't say, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting these Christians? Which Christians, the word hadn't been invented yet, but he didn't say that. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so that is what the persecution is. It is aimed at Christ, but it's placed on us. And so we suffer for him, with him. Through that. But guys, they know the adversaries. They know in their hearts. They truly do. Their destination is perdition. Which means eternal damnation and eternal separation from God. But Paul also says that we can rejoice because that persecution is a confirmation for us of our salvation. Guys, the persecutors know their destination is hell. 
I don't think there's any such thing as, an, as a real, true atheist. And I believe Paul confirms that when he says that they know the truth. And they ignore it. Their eyes are closed. And that they know their destination because Paul says that they are without excuse because God has revealed Himself in, in, in His creation. And that's why they cling to evolution. They, they, they cling to that and they, and they have to have it because that's their reason that they say there is no God. In their hearts, guys, when they look around at that creation, they know. Paul tells us they have no excuse. They know that there's a God. But their eyes are closed. And sometimes when I'm sharing with somebody, you know, if God would just give me a sign, why doesn't He appear? He did. Jesus. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. They say, I would believe in God if He would show me a sign. The answer to that is, open your eyes. Look around. Tell me what you see. Trees, bugs, us. We didn't come from goo to you. But that's what they believe. You know, our assurance in faith, of faith in Christ is this. You can worship any false god that you want and experience little or no persecution. Amen? Only Christians are persecuted to the death in this world in millions of numbers. So why does the world hate Jesus? We might think we know the answer, but, but there's... A few answers. What is it about this man that the world finds so despicable? Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. OMG, how intolerant that is. You know, if, if, if you're Jewish and you come to your parents and your friends and you say, Jesus is Messiah. You will be disowned. You will be persecuted by your own family. It will be as if you have never been born. But if you come and say, I believe in Buddha. I believe in Krishna. Oh, you know, that's good. I'm glad you found your path. But don't say that word Jesus. You may not know it, but we have an ordained pastor in this church who now pastors a church in Colorado, Pastor Jeff Dorman. He's Jewish. Guys, he's one of your pastors. And he has experienced this persecution from his family and friends. He's been disowned. It's as if he's never been born. He has no more friends. That is what he has suffered for his belief in Jesus as Messiah. So, why is it that the world hates Jesus? You know, many of us would say, because he says it's, Jesus is the only way to God. And, and that's part of it. But Islam also declares that. 
There's only one way to heaven. That's through the, pro- the prophet Muhammad. Well, that's acceptable to the world. So the answer is simple. Probably going to get death threats if somebody hears this on the Internet. Islam is from Satan. Amen? Radical Islam is darkness, and it's black with terrible murders, sin, and nothing but pure satanic evil. So why doesn't the world hate Islam? Guys, it's because the Bible makes it clear. Satan has the power to blind the world. He has the power to put a veil over their eyes. And he has. All that Satan allows the world to see are Christians who they believe are the world's enemy. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Islamic terrorists want to impose Sharia law on the world. Anybody that doesn't follow the writings and teachings of Muhammad, literally, which includes murder, rape, death, violence, all those things, beheading, that is the enemy. But guys, we are only number three on the list of enemies. Did you know that? We're number three. We are not two. We are not one. The Muslims have, or radical Islam, they have a a saying. Three words. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's their list of enemies. Friday, moderate Muslims that do not follow the teachings of Muhammad literally. We're going to kill them first. That's Friday. That's their day of worship. Saturday is the the day of worship for Jews. They're number two. After we take care of the Muslims, we're going to go take care of the Jews. And then number three, guys, Sunday, our day of worship, Christians. We're number three on the priority list. That's when they they want to take care of us. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. So let's look at point number four, faith and suffering. Christ has graced the Philippians and us of saving faith in Him. And, not only that, Christ has granted to us suffering. That's a hard thing. But church, Christians... View your sufferings for Jesus Christ as a gift He has granted to us. That's what Paul writes. It is a gift. He's passed on to us the blessed right to share in His sufferings. And in that we rejoice. Amen? Second Timothy, again, Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, 
you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And in the last verse, as we conclude, Paul says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me, he's reminding the church in Philippi of the time when him and Paul, or Paul and Silas, went to prison. And and obviously, as Paul says, which you saw in me and now is in me, Paul's reminding them of when he was in prison with Silas. And obviously the church in Philippi saw that same struggle that Paul had. To stay and minister and win souls for Christ or to go to heaven. And so they were aware of that struggle. And and, and Paul's reminding them, you saw that struggle in me. And now you know here that is, is still in me. If, if the Lord allows serious persecution to fall upon this nation, rejoice. Why? Because Jesus has allowed it. He has allowed it. Let's not be fearful or worried. For we know with persecution, as I said earlier, the gospel becomes stronger and we become bolder. We'll conclude with this. We can be sure of this promise of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates, court, and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And guys, I have experienced that in Africa. I, and I'll make this short, I don't, I want to tell you the whole story. I came within just a hair's breadth of being thrown into jail. And, and it's not a good thing to be thrown in jail in Uganda. As you can imagine, we were showing the Jesus film. And we had permission to show it. We had about 700 people to watch the Jesus film. We had permission from the head of security because it is totally illegal to have a huge group of people like that in Africa. That usually means riot and violence. But we had permission from the head of security. But the assistant head of security didn't get that word. So the word spread. There's a huge group in the middle of town. There's this white guy causing trouble. And I had about four or five of my chaplains around us. And this guy came to arrest me. And he had like four Muslims with him. And one of my chaplains ran up and he says, Chuck, those guys are here to arrest you. Oh, what are we going to do? And they, they kind of gathered around me to protect me because that's, what, that's who they are. Love those guys. But the guy came out that was going to arrest me, and, and it was right in the middle of the Jesus film, and he stopped dead in his tracks, and he watched. And he came over after it was over, and one of my chaplains was getting ready to give the altar call, and he said, let me have the microphone. And he got on the microphone, and he says, I came to arrest this white guy. can't remember the name they had for us white guys. Um, 
It sounded bad, anyways. He took the microphone and he says, I came to arrest that white guy, but when I saw the Jesus film, I remembered who I was in Christ. And I have been so backslidden. And I remember what Jesus did for me. And he gave the altar call. That's the way God works, guys. Nothing to have to do with me. But you know, God gave me such a peace and strength. I felt that Holy Spirit. And I had this rejoicing in my heart. I got a new prison ministry. <laughs> Amen? But guys, as we close, never forget, we are in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. There is a war going on around us that we cannot see. A battle in the heavens. And it is going on and it is up to us to be on our knees praying for this world, for that battle. So, how do we fight? What are our orders? I'll give you some homework for this afternoon. Okay? Here's what we do. Go home and read, read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 about the armor of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we put on our armor. May we look at this world in light of eternity, not in light of the, the, the temporal, Lord, that we can always remember that we have eternal life and that we know who wins this war. And we thank You, Jesus. We love You. We lift You up, Lord. And we pray in Your name. Amen.